checking to make sure this was the right recorder. Um, this is the For the Love of Film podcast. I am Scott David Chase. I am joined tonight by uh, Chris Umbright. Hello. How's it going? Doing well. So we were just talking about, uh, I'm going to turn that off now, uh, Rocket Man, the uh, Elton John biopic that's coming out... I think it's early next year I think or it's around next, Christmas. I, I think it's summer, right actually, but I could be wrong, which I didn't even know it existed until tonight when I saw the first of two movies I saw back-to-back, which was A Star is Born, which I'll talk about later. Um, but we just got out of Venom. The the It's not... It's weird. So, the in a nutshell, Sony owns the film rights to the Spider-Man character Mm -hmm. and everything in the Spider-Verse-ish. There's an association with Marvel, so they kind of get to pick and choose. So Spider-Man himself is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But But he's a Sony property, yeah. But he's a Sony property, and also... this. So this was done in association with Marvel, but this is not considered part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No, though they kind of are trying to keep the... That's kind of one of the reasons I hear why they don't have the actual Spider logo on it. One is because it's not associated with his origin. Right. And then also because if they ended up not ever... Connecting it. Connecting it. Yeah. It's like they're trying to keep it, I think, a gray area because they're like... Oh, if people are Marvel fans and want to go see this because they think it's a Marvel movie, that's fine. We'll take your money. But we're not saying it is. But we're also not 100% saying it isn't because we don't want to lose that money. I mean, that's just my take on the how they're kind of handling it. Because it's weird because, like, they, you know, they had Tony Stark in Spider-Man Homecoming as part of the deal. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that when they make the next Spider-Man movie, there will be... You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Robert Downey Jr. is in that, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't. Yeah, well, I mean, Sony's had the rights to Spider-Man since at least whatever they started production on the first Spider-Man movie. So, like, 2000, 1999, somewhere in there. There's no way they could have predicted what Marvel would have been. But I also think they were smart in that they chose to work with Disney in a, no pun intended, symbiotic Mm -hmm. relationship. Whereas, yeah, which which Fox has not with you know Fantastic Four and uh, the X Men, uh, right? And we're still waiting to find out if Disney will end up purchasing Fox because it's been over a year that they've been trying to do it. But oh, I thought it was a done deal, not officially, mm-hmm. um, but it was because it, um, <coughs> it actually had to go through some weird congressional hearing to determine if it if. Disney purchasing Fox would mean there were too few uh, movie studios, and um, they were basically like talking about whether or not was like if Disney would control too much of the the film industry, and mm-hmm. like it's weird how it's stuff like that is regulated, but other things in you know like food and drugs or whatnot, they have no problem with, you know, a couple corporations. But anyway, that's yeah. <laughs> that's a totally different conversation. Well, they don't know what's CNN, so I don't think it'll be too much of an issue. We'll, we'll see. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, um, you know, you had reached out to me, um, mm-hmm. God, maybe like a couple months ago. saying About, about a month and a half. Yeah. Something like that. You know, 
you know, saying you wanted to see this and you'd be interested in seeing it with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I was, I was all for it. Um, you know, we talked briefly before the movie started about, uh, you're a pretty big Spider-Man fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a Venom fan. I'm, I am a fair weather Spider-Man fan at best. Right. Um, and I've never been a huge fan of the Venom character. I will say I was a huge fan of the black costume on Spider-Man. Yeah. Which was introduced in Secret Wars, and then it was sort of uh, retconned to be the symbiote and everything. You know, the, right. Because Todd McFarlane, I forget the the writer who... They, they basically created the character of Venom out of this. Yeah. Um, but then it was it's just kind of this, like... To me, my take on it, it's always just this drooling, slithering monster that stole Spider-Man's coolest costume. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not going to go, like, super deep dive or anything like that. And I will admit, for any listeners who are super snobbish or anything like that about comics, it's like, I will admit I haven't read a recent comic Mm -hmm. for almost anything for probably a good, you know, five, six years I finished, like, the Ultimate Spider-Man run. Yeah. You know, that's about it as far as my comics go. But my, I've the problem, I think, with the Venom character in a nutshell itself is that it's, like, an awesome... He's an awesome visually. Sure. He's very visually striking. He's very awesome in that respect. And it's kind of a cool, co- you know, cost concept, too. Right. You know, of kind of like another Jekyll and Hyde version of Spider-Man, you know, he's he's the direct opposite of Spider-Man, you know, it's like instead of having res- responsibility, it's all about id and revenge. Right. You know, it's just that the problem is is that anybody who writes him for the most part only writes to get the pizzazz out of, you know, whatever you know, whatever you get out of the visuals of Venom, sure. they always write around the visuals. Yeah. I think, like, the closest thing to a good story that didn't involve, like, the first few runs of his encounter with Spider-Man was the Lethal Protector series, which this is initially, I think, what the original concept was for this movie, for this movie. where, you know, Eddie Brock is looking to figure out what's happening to the homeless population. Right. Uh, I'm not going to go in deep spoilers or anything like but that. It does, but it does touch on that in the movie, mm-hmm. but it... To me, it felt like it quickly abandoned it. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it hit eject as soon as you know the symbiotes came into came into play. But well, they tried. <laughs> it was funny. My my buddy Bob, who I sometimes do the uh, burgers with Bob, with uh, put a message on the my Facebook post. You know, I posted that we were seeing this movie mm-hmm. about how, uh, and we've often commented on uh, um, credit lengths. Because Bob actually times every movie that he goes to see. He's got a little stopwatch that he mm-hmm. brings in with him, but he times it from when the movie starts to when the credits start. Mm-hmm. So the movie itself is exactly 90 minutes long, but the credits are 20 minutes long. So bumping, <laughs> bumping it to an hour and 50 minutes, but, you know, tw- so like a good sixth of the movie is credits. Like, right. Because um, it did feel like, it went by pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a pretty pretty fast-paced film. Uh, I mean, they got right down to business in the opening scene about, like, what was happening. And then... Yeah. Um, Not a lot of chance for pee breaks. No. No. Um, 
Well, first, well, I, I can't say first off because we've already been mm-hmm. talking for right. a while. But uh, did you did you like this movie? Here's what I'm going to say in a nutshell about this movie. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to put this movie probably on par with Blade, and the way I'll explain it is is that the Wesley Snipes film, the yeah. Wesley Snipes film, um, the first one. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to put it on par with that because I feel like. That if this movie, if they had the visual effects and the ability to make this movie in the same time or within the next year of when they made the first Blade movie, yep. I think that this probably would have been on par as being the best Marvel movie up to that point. Okay. I feel like, and being as how it was produced by Ave Arid, you know, it's like a lot of the earlier Marvel movies were, mm-hmm. you he doesn't have much of an imagination as far as a producer, so he tries to stick everything pretty much the same. Yeah. But, like, I feel like just kind of the pacing, the way that the story played out, the way that the villains were portrayed, the way the heroes portrayed, if you watch, I feel like if you go back and watch Blade, it's going to feel very familiar. Sure, yeah. You know, especially if you watch it, like, as soon as you go home from watching this, you're going to be like, oh, this is almost yeah. the same as Blade, except it has aliens. Yeah, <laughs> same, same kind of template for yeah. how to make a movie, yeah. yeah. Um, so, in that respect, I think that the problem with this movie has is that we've seen way too many good superhero movies right. to be satisfied with this. I think it was a good standalone effort, and as long as you're not comparing it with anything else... sure. It's a serviceable movie, but we're spoiled now. We can't do that anymore. <laughs> right. And I kind of look at it as, and this, given how I feel about the Venom character, I, I feel like people who love the character of Venom um, are probably going to enjoy this more than the average moviegoer. Mm-hmm. And so it's, to me, it's not for a necessarily a discerning film audience and you're absolutely right. We've gotten way better comic book movies since Blade was made. And this, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, this was, I mean, this was the third Marvel movie I've seen this year after Avengers three and Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think. Oh, and no, and Deadpool. So it's the fourth one. Um, Certainly the weakest by far. Oh, don't forget Black Panther. Oh, yeah. So it's the fifth one. Yeah, everybody forgets that Black Panther came, it came out, out this year. Yeah, it came out in February, yeah. Yeah, in Black History Month. Um, and it, I think part of it was because, you know, so Black Panther wasn't in Avengers Infinity War that much because I don't think they knew just how big Black Panther was going to be when they shot oh, it. They didn't know that and, you no. know, freaking how big he was going to be when Civil War came out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so th- I don't know, like... Uh, well, I, l- let me ask you this before I get into my feelings on the movie. Uh, <laughs> Please do. How did, how do you think the portrayal of Venom and not, not Eddie Brock per se, but Venom mm-hmm. itself compared to in Spider-Man three? Cause I, and oh. I said, I hadn't seen, I haven't seen Spider-Man three. So, okay. Well, this is a lot better in Spider-Man three. Okay. They're like, uh, I mean, but the problem again well, the problem with Spider-Man 3, amongst many problems, was that it had the same problem that a lot of the movies that came out around that time were starting to have, especially superhero movies, mm-hmm. where they just try to shove as shove as many 
villains in as possible because you feel like you figure, you know, not soon at, or not not soon before Spider Man came out, you had you know Batman and Robin, which had you know three bad guys, mm-hmm. you know, two extra characters, and then you know nipples and all that That's stuff. Right. You know, and then they did the same thing with Spider Man. You know, they had you know they had they had technically two bad guys in Spider Man Two with you know Doctor Octopus, and then kind of the beginnings of the Harry Osborn Goblin, right? You know, and then in Spider Man Three, you know, they had basically three bad guys in it if you count Eddie Brock and Venom as separate characters. Plus, mm, same. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, four because there there was the Harry Osborn Goblin in it for a good hot ten minutes, right? And they just isn't Gwen Stacy in it too? Yeah, Gwen Stacy. Yeah, they they added her in it too, and they just did not have any time to develop any kind of character. But they did try to make it as you know close to his original origin as possible. So right. you get that a little bit better than you get in this. But um, yeah, I mean, they just didn't do any service to him at all in that sure. movie. And then you know, again, like I said, Topher Grace. As good as an actor as he is, nobody would have bought him in that role. Yeah. And then, you know, the way they portrayed him in the Venom character in there by itself. Yeah. You know, I think in this one, I do like how it had the back and forth. I mean, it was, again, very 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, oh, for sure. But I think that it did help visualize the way that you know, he's kind of portrayed in the comics. Right. But in the comics, at least in the ones that I had read and stuff, it was just him talking to himself. But it wasn't in two voices. It was just basically a combined inner monologue. Sure. So I thought this one was a little bit better. I mean, unfortunately, it's more Tom Hardy bad accent. But, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, you had Tom Hardy talking back and forth with mm-hmm. Venom in his head. Uh, well... Venom was in his head. Tom Hardy's talking out loud. Right. So people are constantly reacting to what he's saying. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm not talking to you. Um, I, I will say that Venom itself looked much better than I was expecting, consi- considering it's a completely CG character. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because visually it reminded me of the, the Spawn movie. Right. Uh, which makes sense because they're both based on Todd McFarlane artwork. Mm-hmm. It looked way more like Todd McFarlane's original artwork than I was expecting it to. Yeah. I mean, he basically just looked like he was wet and glistening and, you know, had a thousand teeth and whatnot. Um, when they did the thing where his face would pull back or whatnot and you would see Eddie Brock, that was that looked terrible in my yeah. opinion. Didn't look great. real at all. But um, that was pretty much... I mean, I went into this movie, like I said, not expecting much of it. It mm-hmm. was, it wasn't worse than I expected. It was pretty much exactly what I expected right. from it. Um, I mean, I even because we we sat through you know twenty minutes of credits at the end, and you said, um, you know, we don't have to stay on my account because there was there's a there's a mid credit sequence, and then there's a post credit sequence, and we had seen the mid credit sequence, but I yeah. said to you, let's stay. Because I don't plan on watching this movie again, yeah. <laughs> which was certainly true. And there's a good, like, probably close to five minute scene that's kind of a teaser for Into the Spider Verse, which comes out in December. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, to me, that was that five minutes was far more entertaining than the um, 
the previous 90 oh. minutes we had seen. Oh, completely. Um, I mean, it's got a lighter tone. It's got almost kind of like a Pixar feel to it. Um, well, if you if you look at a lot of it, too. It, it all looks like yeah. the dots from yeah from the old newsprint, on comic, which, I, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly... We saw a pre- preview for Into the Spider-Verse, which I hadn't seen before that has all the other iterations of Spider-Man mm-hmm. in this, which in the in the first trailer for it, it only had Miles Morales and then Peter Parker and then Gwen Stacy pops up at the very end where this mm-hmm. has Spider-Noir, uh, uh, um, Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham, and there was, I, there was another one, too. That one I'm not too familiar with. Um, she was, from what I can gather, her name is... Spivey or something like that, but it's from a but it's from the Japanese anime right. universe of uh, of in the Spider Verse. It was in the com- she was in the comics, and she's got a telepathic control of a giant spider robot. Huh? And it definitely the animation style changed for that too. It looks yeah. very much like a poppy Japanese animation mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, and then Spider Ham looked like a cartoon. And yeah, although <laughs> although not the classic Spider Ham look that a lot of people love. It no. it looks more like what was that show on Comedy Central? Uh, Drawn Together, uh, a little bit, a little yeah. bit like that. Um, that movie could be a lot of fun. It could also be a huge hodgepodge mess. Um, I think it's I think it's banking on being a hodgepodge mess. Yeah, because I because. Well, they're doing that with the Teen Titans movie too. They're just making it like completely ridiculous and over the top. Oh, that was that was fun. I, did I that already come that. out? That came out uh, a couple of months ago. We took we took our little one to go see it, and just on a whim, we went to Chunky's and watched it. Did she enjoy it? Oh, she enjoyed it. But nice. There were a lot of yeah. It was. I was told it was kind of like a G-rated Deadpool. Mm-hmm. But it was just more of an extended episode of Teen Titans Go, which if you don't like Teen Titans Go, then you're not going to enjoy that movie. But I've never seen it, but I I, I, I sort of got the, the gist of what it was about. I was like, that's fun. And like DC has a lot of, I mean, both Marvel and DC have a lot of different iterations mm-hmm. for different age levels. And I, I have no problem with that, especially being a guy in my 40s. I'm like, there should be versions of superheroes that little kids can enjoy it doesn't all have to be for guys our age no one no one over 40 should be dying on a hill for a cartoon right (laughs) yeah that's the yeah it's i mean i one of my biggest problems with particularly superhero movies but also with star wars and stuff like that is and you know being a huge star wars fan myself people take it way too seriously Mm -hmm. and like people talk about oh you've ruined the franchise and i'm like you can enjoy the stuff that was great when you were a kid as an adult and you don't have to like the new stuff and that doesn't make it ruin it. And no. like, if it, I, I look at this and I, I don't know, like a couple years ago, this will sound like a weird tangent, but I relate it a couple years ago when gay marriage was legal to, in this country, mm-hmm. I knew some, some people who, were very, uh, you know, uh, some, some Christians who were very vocal about it online about how this ruined the sanctity of marriage and, you know, it negated their own marriage. And I was like, if somebody else pledging their love to another person negates your own marriage, then your marriage is in trouble. Right. Uh, I'm like, if, if you love something, someone else's opinion of it or someone else's love of it should have no bearing on that. No. And, and here, 
just to stay on that tangent, yeah. this will be this will be kind of like my little hot take on the whole Star Wars thing as well, because you know everybody's got to have a hot take on it. Mm. But the way I look at it is is that life doesn't happen the way you want it to happen, mm. you know. And so you don't like you loved how Star Wars went, great. Prequels weren't great, but whatever, you know, that's mm. different. That was justified. But anyway, so you're going forward. And, okay, so you have, you know, Han Solo's, you know, basically a space hobo again. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Skywalker's definitely a space hobo. And right. Like but, like, you He's know. He's more of a space hermit. A space hermit. <laughs> They're all hobos. Hermits yeah. are just, you know, hobos with a cause. Right. But, um. <laughs> Transient hermits. <laughs> but the way, I, but the way I, my thought on it was, is that life's never going to go the way that anybody plans or expects. So right. nobody is, you know, so you got to come up with how do you think you, you know, how you feel like the Star Wars franchise should have gone and the way it's going to go. Are you shitting on the product because you don't like what they did with the product or is it just a poor product? And the last, you know, in The Last Jedi, you can take as, oh, it was poorly done or, you know, you didn't like the tangent it took, but life never goes the way anybody plans. Right. It's like, you know, it's, Again, keep it, you know, kind of political, you know, gay marriage, Donald Trump, whatever. You know, it's like you know, everything that's happening is not the way anybody planned. Right. So why can't we let our art reflect the exact same thing? You know, it's maybe I'm going a little bit too meta on Star Wars, but, you know, that's well, kind of no, the way I, I thought of it. I, that, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I would agree. Um, so I do, when I rate movies on this, I do a, a 1 to 10 scale, 1 being uh, Ghost Rider and ten, 10 being uh, well, that's not you know fair. <laughs> oh, well, on my on my trip last fall around the world because I, I still maintain that Ghost Rider is the worst film I've ever seen. Um, Did you see Spirit of Vengeance? Uh, the second one, yeah, yeah. I, but I actually thought the first one was was even worse. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> and then ten being the best. Um, what what numerical value would you attach to Venom? Mm. I would say I would give this a good solid, I'd say probably maybe a high four. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say four. I was expecting you to maybe say like a five or a six, just given that you're a bigger fan of the, you know, the, the, the Spider-Man universe. But yeah, I would say a four. It was, I was, ex- I was going in expecting it to be like a three and a half or a four mm. and I left. Uh, I didn't hate it. I mean, one of the things I did appreciate was that it was relatively short and it was brisk. Mm-hmm. I love Tom Hardy and he is completely wasted slash miscast in this role. Um, Michelle Williams has done a lot of really great work. She is terrible in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Jenny Slate, who played Dr. I thought it was Dr. Skirt. It was like Dr. Scherf Skirt. or something. Skirt. Yeah, they just added a couple of Extra letters or consonants. She in there was actually to... one of the uh, one of the better performances in this, and she's an actress that annoys me in almost everything. And then uh, um, Melora Walters, who's an actress who I like in a lot of stuff. She played the homeless woman mm-hmm. who um, she was pretty much wasted. And uh, Nick Thune was wasted. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Rick uh, Riz Ahmed. Um, I mean, he did a he did a good job. The character that he played that he was given to play was just 
kind of like a one-dimensional villain. Yeah, I, I'd mentioned earlier, I'd heard a podcast with him earlier today. I was listening to uh, Deconstructed, um, mm. which is an intercepted podcast, and they had a, the and they were interviewing him, and he actually kind of sold me on, it's like, oh, you know, he actually has like a good, you know, good take on this character and yeah. stuff, but I don't think they let him play it the way sure. that he felt like he wanted to. But again, you know, he's definitely playing Steven Dorf right. on the same hand. Yeah, know, for it almost, sure. almost ends the same way as Blade did too, where it's just a giant CGI blob of yeah. hot mess yeah. going around too. So I did, and I've said before with the Marvel movies, the Stan Lee cameos really annoy me. This one actually didn't annoy me. First of all, it was at almost the complete end of the movie, mm-hmm. and it didn't take you out of the movie. And it was it was kind of it was kind of funny, right? Um, and the, the, there's the the mid credit sequence. I won't spoil it, but it definitely sets this up to be a franchise film. We'll see how it does. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the the end credit sequence into the Spider Verse was far more entertaining than the movie that preceded right. it. So. Um, yeah, that take that information as you will, and you know, go forward with uh, Venom accordingly. Okay. Uh, one more thing, I yeah. just thought of, and I wanted to throw it in there. There is a connection to Spider-Man that I don't know if many people will catch, but the but one of the pilots of the shuttle that you see in the first two minutes of the movie, yeah, his name is Jameson. Okay, and uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son. Is an is, astronaut. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it kind of connects it to Spider-Man 3, because he was in Spider-Man 3. Is, was it Spider-Man 3? No, he was in Spider-Man 2. Okay. And any comic fans probably get mad if I don't say he's the werewolf by night in the Marvel Universe, which is just basically like man-bat, but a werewolf. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> cool. Well, I definitely didn't know that, so... Yeah. Uh, so awesome. there is a connection if anybody wanted to have a connection somehow to the, <laughs> the Spider-Verse. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh... Thanks for uh, thanks for asking me to come see Venom with you. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, if you need another partner for anything, just let me know. Awesome, cool. All right, I'm back. This is Scott Solo for the rest of this episode. Uh, I've got three more films to talk about: uh, Assassination Nation, Life Itself, and A Star Is Born. Um, Assassination Nation was a movie I had I had seen. Previews for it, uh, not for a long time, for for maybe two or three weeks leading up to its release, and uh, it kind of looked to me like a cross between uh, the movie Heather's from the late '80s and the the Purge series, which has come out in the last you know five or six years. Which I haven't seen any of them, but it looked similar to that, and. Uh, um, and it was sort of like that. I mean, it's a dark, satirical comedy and uh, slash. It, I mean, it's not a horror film, but it's more there are terror elements. Uh, for those of you not familiar with it, because it's already come and gone from the theaters it it did not fare well in the theaters uh it's you know it takes place in a suburban city suburban town uh, and it follows a group of four high school friends and over the course of probably about a week two weeks 
Uh, there's a internet hacker who is revealing people's uh, texts, emails, so on and so forth, and you know takes down the the mayor and then the principal of the high school, and then eventually just releases everyone's personal missives and you know the society falls apart very quickly and because if we all know if we you know if we all knew what everyone said and thought about us behind closed digital doors we'd all uh, we'd all riot in the streets at least that's the sort of the theme that was going on with it um, I really liked the first two thirds of the film way more than I expected it was I, I thought it was going to be far more like an exploitation film than it ended up being but then the, the last third pretty much just did, you know fell apart degenerated into a revenge fest of bullets and blood and guns and um, wasn't you know wasn't terrible and there's certainly an audience for that but just uh, it wasn't as satisfying for me as the beginning of the movie uh, all of the the actresses young actresses did a decent job it was um, you know certainly darker than a lot of the teen high school movies that have come out in the last decade or so and certainly it, it reminded me you know like I said it reminded me a bit of Heathers it also reminded me of another film called River's Edge uh, you know not uh, not not an amazing film but uh, visually it looked quite interesting and uh, you know it, it, it surprised me it was slightly better than I expected it to be I would give Assassination Nation a 6 out of a 10. Uh, the next film I saw was Life Itself, which was written and directed by Dan Fogelman. Uh, Dan Fogelman is most well-known for being the showrunner of the television series This Is Us, which I've seen a bit of it, and what I've seen I enjoyed. You know, he's he works with... He, he, he does a great job with casting and has a, gets a lot of great performances out of actors and that's certainly true for life itself now life itself also has come and gone from theaters and uh, has fared very poorly as well and also critically um, I, I believe when I last checked it, it has an 11% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes and I it's interesting to me how some films that I find incredibly mediocre, like Venom, which Chris and I just talked about, um, get okay reviews. I mean, Venom's not getting great reviews, but it, I, I believe that was at like a 40% approval rating. And where this is a film that's aimed squarely at adult audiences, it's not a superhero movie. There's you know, it's it's a drama. Uh, I mean, there are fantastical elements in the storytelling, but it is not a fantasy film. 
And yes, there are certainly problems with the script. Uh, it doesn't completely work as a narrative, but uh, I don't know. I, I think it's far better than the reviewers are making it out to be. And, you know, it's it's a film aimed at adults, which is becoming a, a scarcer and scarcer thing these days. But there are so many event films, uh, you know, so much fluff and not a lot of substance. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy a lot of those films. I talk about a lot of those films on here, but uh, trying to describe the plot of this movie, I mean, the, the plot is certainly secondary. It's it's kind of the story of several people all intertwined and related over generations, and it keeps going back to a single event that has touched and shapes the lives of a lot of them. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, not a car accident. A a woman gets hit by a bus and that's not really a spoiler because it's very early on in the film, probably within the first five minutes that we see that. And, um, so the, the protagonist, the, the focal point of the film shifts several times, throughout the film uh, it's you know Oscar Isaac and his relationship with Olivia uh, Olivia Wilde at the beginning of the film and then uh, later we have uh, let's see, let's see. Yeah, it's a, I wanted to make sure I had the Olivia's correct because Olivia Cook is also in this uh, it's you know it's it's later about uh, Olivia Cook and her relationship with her grandfather Mandy Patinkin, and uh, later it's you know features Antonio Banderas and uh, Leila Costa, and it kind of goes back and forth, weaving different details about them. Annette Benning has a role as. Oscar Isaac's therapist and Samuel L. Jackson's you know starts the narration of the film but that doesn't last very long so it does feel more like a few episodes of a television series than an actual film you know part of that being that the the narrator the or I'm sorry the protagonist focus changes throughout the film and I've seen films that have have used that device um, you know one of my favorite films of the last five or so years is The Place Beyond the Pines which um, you know if you haven't seen it yet I highly recommend but uh, the first half of the film focuses on Ryan Gosling's character and the second half of the film focuses on Bradley Cooper's character and they actually only share single scene together and it's basically the crossover scene where the focus of the film goes from Ryan Gosling to Bradley Cooper um, and that worked to great effect it's kind of a surprising thing that happens to change the focus uh, and again that happens in this film life itself uh, at least the first time it changes it's it's kind of jarring and where for me, uh, 
it took me a second to try and decide if what I had just seen on the screen was real or not in the story because there are several uh, fantastical things that have transpired already in the film and then they're kind of take backs and they're like well that's one perspective or you know wouldn't that be strange if that happened but that's not what actually happened in this story so I didn't know if what I saw was supposed to be what actually happened and then you know turns out it did so uh you you know using different film devices uh is a tricky thing to do to pull off successfully and this film i i don't think did it that well um the biggest thing that really saves this this movie is the superb cast you know the acting is great across the board. Uh, it was it's nice to see Oscar Isaac, you know, playing a just a just a human being. Um, you know, he plays Poe Dameron, the hotshot X-wing pilot in the new Star Wars trilogy, and then he had a kind of a thankless role where he disappeared behind prosthetics as Apocalypse in X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, last summer, and you know, that was an abysmal film, but he's Oscar Isaac is a really solid actor, he shines in my opinion in small films, and he's certainly great in this uh, Olivia Wilde, you know fun certainly charismatic she's, you know, a beautiful woman and she's one of those actors that whenever they're on screen, you're focus is completely drawn towards them. It's a pretty small role for her. Um, Olivia Cook also um, does a does a really engaging job in this. She, she was excellent in Thoroughbreds, which came out at the beginning of this year, and I really liked her in that, and this is a very different film for him, for, uh, for her. Uh, and this is also a really nice, understated role for Antonio Banderas. Most of his most of his dialogue is in Spanish throughout the film. And, um, you know, he has a really intoxicating voice. Uh, and it was nice to kind of hear him in his native tongue because English is his second language. Um, also, n- nice, uh, very subtle turn from Mandy Patinkin as the grandfather. So, certainly... This is worth a red box rental. Like I said, the 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 plot, the script could certainly use some work. It doesn't completely come together, but if you like any of these actors at all, certainly worth giving it a second look. And while it may not be a stellar film, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like films like this deserve a wider audience and. Uh, more respect than this one got. So I I would give Life Itself, but also give that a 6 out of 10. And then the last film that I saw, uh, which I, I, you know, I had seen right before Chris and I watched Venom the same night, uh, was Star is Born, which is, you know, the third film version of this. I had had previously seen the 1976 Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand film, but it had been so long since I'd seen it that I couldn't remember the, the, you know, the details of the plot. I remembered the, you know, the broad strokes of what the film was about, but, 
and I was glad to go into this version pretty much blind, uh, so I could let it unfold. So if, if you haven't seen it, you know, or don't, uh, try and avoid, uh, I don't want to say spoilers, but you know, try and go into it, just let the movie wash over you. Um, it's, it is, it stars Lady Gaga and Bradley, Bradley Cooper and it, Bradley Cooper's directorial debut. He also co-wrote the screenplay and it's an excellent first film. It certainly, um, felt like a confident film. You know, he's a, he's an actor who's worked with a lot of big name directors and he knows what he's doing. So I'm glad he took his time and waited till he had a, a project that he really wanted to work on for this. You know, it's a, it, it's a love story. It's a, he, Bradley Cooper plays Jackson Maine, who is a sort of country tinged rock singer. Uh, in the previews, it made it seem, or maybe I just assumed from a few glimpses that he was a country singer, but this is more along the lines of, God, I don't know. Um, both John Mayer and Stevie Ray Vaughan aren't quite right, but it's, you know, he's a, he's known for his guitar playing and, you know, it's more hard rock than, than country, but it definitely has country tinges to it. And, uh, he happens upon Allie, Lady Gaga's character singing in a drag bar one night and they, you know, they spend that evening out on the town kind of getting to know each other and um, that part of the film absolutely is captivating it's very realistic you know there's been a, a handful of moments in my own life where I've I've spent an evening just walking and talking getting to know people and these are you know nights that have stayed with me for years later, uh, just connecting with another person on a level that you don't generally get from just everyday conversation. And, uh, that's really kind of the heart of this film. And then, you know, they, they fall in love and her, her rise to fame and their, you know, the troubles in their relationship. Uh, it's what the film is about, but it's, there's so many great performances in both both Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga give excellent performances and I've said to a few people already who asked me uh, what I thought of the film and I said you know I, I I'm I'm all but certain this is going to be nominated for best picture and I, I'm sure Lady Gaga will be nominated for best actress and you know we still have three months ahead of us as far as uh, Uh, films in the award season, uh, but I, uh, uh, she would be my pick as of, as of right now, uh, October 7th, 2018, she would be my pick for the best, uh, best actress performance I've seen this year. And I say that being not a, I'm not a, you know, gushing Lady Gaga fan. I, I don't dislike her, but her, uh, 
you know, I only know really the hits that she has. And she's someone that I would say I far more appreciate than an active fan. I think she's very talented and, uh, but a lot of her stuff, not necessarily for me, but this performance is miles away from the, you know, the public persona that she puts on. And it's a really tender, honest, and kind of bare performance, a raw human being. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, also of note that even though he's only in about 10 minutes of the movie, uh, Dave Chappelle gives a great performance and it's a dramatic performance. It's, it's not really a funny performance. There's, you know, there's, there's warmth and humor in the scenes that he's in, but it's really, uh, he plays, you know, an old friend of, of Jackson Maine's and, uh, you know, I'd like to see Dave Chappelle try more dramatic work. Cause I, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly depth there. And, uh, also a, a surprisingly tender performance from Andrew Dice Clay, who plays, uh, Lady Gaga's character's father. And, um, you know, no hint of the real machismo that he was known for in the eighties. Uh, and, and a solid performance from Sam Elliott, as always, um, Sam Elliott's one of those character actors that, you know, I just, I just love, uh, he plays Bradley Cooper's character's older brother slash manager slash mentor slash, you know, guy who picks him up when he's drunk. So, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed this film a great deal. I'm planning on seeing it at least one more time in the theater. Highly recommended. Uh, it's really a fantastic film. I would give a Stars Born 9 out of 10 stars, certainly uh, in my top 5 for the year so far. So those are the films that I saw in the last week and a half or so. Uh, one great film, a couple mediocre films, and one film that I thought was trash. Thanks for listening, as always, and I'll talk to you again soon.